My name is Anne McElhenney. And I'm Phelan McAleer, and welcome to the Anne and Phelan Scoop. Uh, we'd like to start today with an announcement. Um, here at the Anne and Phelan Scoop, we take accuracy and ethical journalism very seriously. As such, we'd like to open with an apology for our failures in this regard. We would like to announce an abject and sincere apology to Bill and Hillary Clinton for our previous journalism, which may have erroneously suggested that they are unethical, venal, immoral and corrupt. Nothing could be further from the truth. In particular, we would like to state that any implication from us that Hillary Clinton's use of a private outside computer server while she was Secretary of State was reckless and probably designed to hide corrupt activity. This was, we now recognise, a completely unjustified accusation. We now unreservedly withdraw any such allegation or implication of an aforementioned wrongdoing. In addition, we now recognise that criticising the Bill and Hillary Clinton Foundation for amassing 500 million in private donations, mostly from foreign sources, whilst Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, was unfair on our part. We would also like to apologise for indicating in any way that Bill Clinton's treatment of Monica Lewinsky was unethical, inappropriate and wrong. We now realise that was a gross mischaracterisation of their relationship, which was totally appropriate and not at all an abuse of power on the part of the former president. Similarly, we now recognise that the allegation that Bill Clinton raped Juanita Broderick when he was governor of Arkansas is completely unfounded and should never be repeated. Also, we now recognise that our previous criticisms of Chelsea Clinton as someone who has leveraged her family name to acquire one cushy job after another is unfounded and wrong. We apologise for that. We wish to emphasise that our raising questions about whether Chelsea's wedding was paid for illegally by the Bill and Hillary Clinton Charitable Foundation was an inappropriate question for us as journalists to raise. Also, we would like to add that our constant highlighting of a leaked email between longtime Clinton confidants Doug Barron and John Podesta, where they discussed Chelsea and her parents, quote, using foundation resources for her wedding and life for a decade, we recognise that highlighting this email was entirely inappropriate. We should not have highlighted this email. We apologise for even mentioning this email and describing any negative connotations to Chelsea or any member of her family regarding it or implying that her wedding was funded at the expense of starving Haitian orphans. We recognise that the Clinton family has a deep love of Haitian orphans and would never divert foundation resources from this worthy cause regardless of emails stating otherwise from their closest confidants. We apologise if anyone anywhere may have thought we were implying otherwise. Similarly, we recognise that the former President Bill Clinton was merely a passenger on Jeffrey Epstein's plane very, very infrequently. President Clinton has stated clearly that he was on the plane just four times and on humanitarian trips to help orphans and other needy people. And even though the flight plan seems to show that the president actually traveled on the plane 26 times, we are confident that this is an error and that the President Clinton is a person of the highest honor and any implication otherwise is not appropriate. Indeed, we would like to offer a blanket apology for any other time we in any way alleged that the Clintons are corrupt, bad faith actors. 
We'd like to conclude by stating that this apology is offered genuinely and fully, and not simply because we don't want to end up mysteriously disappearing, which has definitely not happened to many, 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 many people who have crossed the Clintons over the last several decades. Thank you. Thank you. Do you, feel, what, do you, th do you, think, do you think the Clintons will think that was okay? Well, I think I think it was enough. Like I mean, I think it was enough. I We're mean, not in trouble, are we? Like no. I think it was. I think we. I think we kind of covered everything. I mean, they've got long memories. I mean, have we? Are our wills up to date? I don't know. Have we got? Have we got life insurance? Mary said she knew a good trust lawyer over in Santa Monica. You know, just, I, think, I think it might be enough. I think we might have done enough. Well, I'm, I'm just hoping we've done enough. Like, we've said enough. I think. I think we I think we're okay. Hi, everyone. Any news today? What's the news today, Anne? So the news. Well, one of the big stories that's just broken in the last few days is that Orange County, California, which was traditionally a red, a Republican stronghold, gave us Ronald Reagan, Richard Nixon. You know, and was a re reliably Republican. You know, I thought for 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 all time, um, has just gone blue, and I think that's uh, extraordinary and shocking and. But uh, not shocking, actually. And maybe not shocking. Okay, what, how do you explain it, Phil? Well, the Democrats are now the party of... Well, first of all, explain. There are now more registered Democrats in Orange County than Republicans. Orange County... used to be Orange County was fund, funded every Republican race. There used to be... You couldn't win a congressional seat in Ohio. To, they used to say, to win a congressional seat in Ohio, you have to go through Orange County. Yes. Because they would fund... Because there was no point in raising money for candidates in Orange County because they were going to automatically win anyway. So they'd raise money in Orange County and send it to Ohio to help struggling candidates there. So I suppose Orange County has got very, very prosperous in the last de few decades, uh, like most of the coasts. And the Democrats have become the party of the wealthy elites, the coastal elites, and there's no nowhere more wealthy than uh, Orange County. So I think it's uh, what the Democratic Party has become. It's become the well, a party of really wealthy people. And I suppose it's also become the party of the sons and daughters of really wealthy mm -hmm. people. So yeah. the people in Orange County who are really, who made the money, have either moved on to different states or different places. And it's their children who never really earned the money who are now registering as Democrats. So. It's partly demographic, but you know, it's also partly uh, how awful the Republican Party has been in California. You know, they've been spineless, they've been ineffective, they've been disorganized, and they have not been Republican. They've been Democrat light, uh, you know, Democrats with a bit of nastiness, you know, oh, we're, we're going to do this, we're going to cut that, we're going to cut that. They get in, they don't cut it, they don't do anything. I mean, you know, well, it's interesting, actually. I think that one of the things that you said the other day. So my new, my new obsession, and um, well, I'd, I'd be interested about how many of you guys, how many of you guys out there in your neighbourhood have this um, obsession that I have, which is to get on the app called Nextdoor, which is where you link up with the neighbours that you have, um, and you find out what's going on, and you know, it's it, you know, it can be obviously things like I've got a chair. Does anyone want to pick this chair up that I don't need anymore? And I've got extra fruit on the tree and I'm going to put it outside the door and stuff like, what was that noise last night? Well, you know, and they all talk to each other. Well, we're on next door Venice and I, I, you made the point the other day because there's a, so basically things happen in Venice, California. You can imagine there's a massive homeless crisis here. So there's a lot of crime. There's I wouldn't a lot call of, it a homeless crisis. Well, it's a crisis for the people who live
fears. Yes. For the yes. Pe- for the people who are who have homes, it's a crisis that there are so many people who for are. For the homeless people, it's a it's a boon. It's they're getting more money. They're getting more services. They we are attracting uh, bums and drug addicts from all over the country because this is the cool place to be. It's like that South Park episode where they had the song California. California. We love the homeless. Yeah. And it seems to be the case because. It is extraordinary here. And actually, I'm going to take some photographs over the next while and I'll put them up on the Facebook page and you can see how, so, just how bad so, it is. So, you know, Los Angeles and San Francisco and lots of other places are basically third world. You know, we have typhus now in L.A. because of people living on the street. We have and defecating more, on the more defecation than India. It's third world. Are the Republicans offering... A solution to that? Are they offering an alternative? To is there that? is there a voice? Where are they? Where are they shouting about this stuff? And, and you know, you go on next door, you hear more Republican politics from the voices of liberals in next door than you do from the voices of Republicans on your TV every day. Why would people vote Republican when they're not offering any radical solutions to this crisis that that is outside people's door every day? They're not there. And yeah, people are crying out. I mean, oh yeah, they're crying out for leadership here. Like, so in this area, you know, a group of concerned citizens who are overwhelmingly liberal, who are overwhelmed, and they're, it's really funny. So on on next door, because they're like everyone's very liberal, they start out every one of their postings with, "Now I am more liberal. Like I am the most liberal person I know in Venice," because they're kind of like out liberaling each other, and it's like really competitive. Um, and the last thing they want, like they're terrified that anyone would think that they're not liberal. So they start their post off by, you know, by saying how liberal they are. And this story that this recent spat that's happened on Nextdoor, that's massive. Like, honestly, I think there's like maybe 150 comments so far and it's got like really aggressive and everyone's piling in. So what happened was and what's happening is people own homes, $2 million homes, $3 million homes. And right outside the door where they have, the, by the way, their little children and stuff. Right outside the door, someone has moved in. Someone has moved in in a, ma- a in a tent, and they're living there and defecating there, and several people, and they're taking their drugs, and then they're having you know a nice few cocktails late at night, and and screaming blue murder at each other in the middle of the night, and what these neighbours have decided to do to try and make you know get them to, to move is they've plant they've put down these planters, so these really expensive planters have been put along a couple of these streets to stop people with tents. And guess what the city of Los Angeles did? The city of Los Angeles, city can't, of Los Angeles can't remove homeless people on tents, but within 12 hours, they went out and removed every planter from that these That cost, streets. by the way, vast amounts of money. And are really local, pretty, prettified the streets. You know, so basically anyway, it got, it's got really, really heated. And I, I mean, honestly, I've got pages and pages of these comments. And I really, I could honestly, I, I'll actually, you know, I'll post up a bunch of them actually, so that you can read them yourself. But you know, here's one guy, you know, uh, John, I won't say his full name or whatever, you know, he lives in Venice. I'm about as liberal as they come. So that's how he starts, right? So he just has to like let you know that he's super liberal. You know, and the Latino family below me has been here for 35 years. The elderly Asian man across the street has been has lived here since the 70s. Because that's another thing in the argument that they all have is, oh, you just arrived. You're part of the, the, the horrific gentrification. Uh, you know, so it's a whole thing that you have to say that you've been here forever. You're all competing with each other about how long you've been here. And he says, you know, very lengthy post, by the way. Let me give you so, some examples of the problems we face. These facts are not exaggerations. People are selling heroin on our street. Three million dollar homes, right? This is an organized criminal activity. There's a man that rides by on his motorbike doing his drug drops and money pickups day and night. We've reported it to the police. The response is that there's nothing they can do. 
We've witnessed people living on the sidewalks directly in front of our homes, shooting up with needles in broad daylight. When the police are called, they say there's nothing they can do. They found dirty needles in the sand at the park where our kids used to play. A homeless man, I'm just running through, I'm gonna stop now. A homeless man peed outside the 13 year old girl's window living below us while leering through her window while she studied. She's terrified to this day. She's lived in Venice with her family and her entire life. But get the, oh yeah, and then he has some fat, he said, get the bleep out of Venice, scaredy. NIMBY little girl, right? And basically, because there's all these people saying you're a NIMBY, not in my backyard yeah. type of person. So there's a huge pile on. This guy, by the way, wrote this amazing piece. Some people are writing and saying he should publish it in the Los Angeles yeah, Times. I just want to put some context that you never hear. So this is not rents increasing or house prices increasing and people who lived in houses uh, all these years suddenly being thrown out homeless on the street and having no shelter. This is a thing called the Jones Act that no one talks about. So five years ago, or even when we first came here 10 years ago, the city used to lift people's property off the streets and take it away and basically force the homeless into shelters, force the homeless to, to get their act together. Uh, ACLU took the city to court and the city settled and they now cannot remove people's tents. So we've got tent cities in Venice, tent cities. In it's quite all, shocking. And it's, yeah. You know, what that meant was then there had to, we had, then had to raise 1.6 billion in a bond issue. So you now got a whole infrastructure of people who are employed looking after the homeless uh, and providing services, which of course attracts more homeless people that they cannot, under the, the terms of the settlement, remove. So it's a massive industry. It's a, and they're building, they're gonna build them a now a shelter uh, a mile from the beach, not out in an industrial zone, no, five miles no. away, ten miles away. I'm sorry, I'm, gonna, on. I'm going to correct you, Phelan. They're sorry. building the shelter for the homeless block. one block from the beach. So, you know, the whole thing is how close, you know, people around here, how close can you be to the beach? We're a big distance from the beach. The people who are really close to the beach, like, pay, pay a huge amount of money for that, for that privilege, for that, for, you know, they're, they're, they've worked their ass off to get there. So now people are going to get handed apartments one block from the beach, like steps, basically steps from the sand. And it's, and it's, it's driving, it's funny, it's, it's, you make that point, Philem, and I, I, I love it. You say that people, when, people are conservative in their own lives, yes. right? In what they know. No, it's, it's uh, someone, some philosopher said that people are most conservative about the thing they know best. Right, right? so people so are living in Venice. The most brutal liberal on the planet, if he takes a lot of public transport, will be really have conservative ideas about public transport. If he plays sport, he'll have conservative ideas about sport. And so the people living living here in Venice who know how much they're paying in property taxes are liberal, are liberal and everything else. Except but, for, yeah, exactly. Except, and so that's but, why they... But where is... Where are the Republicans? Yes, where are the Republicans in the middle of this? We're not hearing them. They're not coming door to door, by the way, and getting people, you know, rallied around. They're not showing any leadership uh, in this area. So it's just interesting. And, and we sort of connected these th things this week and said, this is really what's happened here. And this is the reason that Orange County has gone blue, mm. which is really, by the way, it really is, you know, shame on them, actually. Really shame on them. So in other news this week, Phelan, you know, there was a lovely headline we saw there in the New York Times that the Obamas are settling in well. At, at, They're settling in well at Netflix. at Netflix. I'd settle in well, by the way. Can I just put that right out there, that think, I would settle in really well think, at Netflix if they gave me 60 million? Do you know what? They could give me a lot less than that and I'd settle in. Do you think gorgeous. Obama arrives every day like at 9 a.m.? Oh, I would bet. With a brown bag of lunch. Oh, God, yeah. It sits at his desk. Maybe he has a little bit of a slice of frittata because I've got a frittata recipe later on. 
Do you think he's coming with the lunchbox from Michelle then every day? And well, no, it's Michelle oh, and excuse me. both of them. Oh, God. Oh, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. So, yes, so, the two of them going with their lunchboxes. Yes, so we should explain. So they've got a deal with Netflix to produce content for Netflix. $60 million deal. Isn't that lovely? And I'm wondering now, what deal, you know, I suppose I suppose when Trump leaves the White House, he's going to get a great deal in Netflix as I mean, well. Banca, they're probably, they're probably out oh, hunting I, a banker already. I, you know what? I bet, the, I bet they want the whole family in there. Yeah. So... They, they've just, their, their first Obama film, is, you know, so the media, oh, Obama's first film is going to appear on Netflix. And, you know, they lie. I mean, this is, they think people are stupid, right? So what the Obamas did was they went to Sundance and bought a film. Right. right. They okay. did not produce, but they, you read the article in the LA Times or in the Hollywood Report, you think that the Obamas, you know, you think um, Obama was there, you know, Oh, choosing the director, choosing the gaffer, you know, yeah, fixing yeah. the lights. I'm not happy with the lighting. I'm not happy and with the lighting. Eating the crap uh, catered food. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Get, on the uh, set. On, on the, the set, set, you know. But no, I mean, they they went to Sundance, stayed in a nice hotel, went to a screening, or one of their people went to a screening, and they bought a film. And you can buy a lot of films at Sundance if you've got 60 million of Netflix's money it's Very to play nice. With. And I'd say you'd be very popular in, yes. in, in Sundance with that money. And of course, so, obviously, the Obama's But, you know, the media there. is implying anyway. that, that they are these... Producers who are sweating over and buying rights—they're not. They're, they're going, they went on a nice little jolly to Sundance, bought a film. I mean, maybe they will. I actually think I can't see the Obamas being a production machine who for knows? Netflix. Who I can't, knows? I, but we'll I, watch this space. I can't we'll see watch them. This space. I can't see them. It's you know we know making films is actually quite a grubby business. Yeah. It's, well, it's it's a tough job. It's a tough maybe job. Maybe 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 for us it is. Maybe for them the world the waters part. I think the know. waters might part for them. We'll see. We're we'll watching, see and we're we'll watching watch. this space we'll watch for this. the Obamas and Netflix, and then obviously the Trumps and Netflix. Exactly. Because that'll be the next thing. there'll be a huge bidding war for the Trumps, Amazon, Apple. All of them will. They'll want all them. want them. It's true. The, the exactly. The other thing that happened in the news this week, and that um, the New York Times was highlighting actually, was that this is we're in we're in the anniversary of uh, Ferguson of the Michael Brown shooting, and the um, the fallout from that. And it, it, incredibly interesting. They're 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 you know the piece that they wrote, very very lengthy piece that they wrote, um, has a photograph. Um, but I'll just read the headline first. You know, he's a veteran of upheaval, molded by Ferguson's traumas. And I, I, actually, I'm going to read the before I read the last bit there, Philip. I'm going to actually read the full the full paragraph here. David Morrison carries the scars of Ferguson's upheaval. He's a veteran protester. Mark those words, guys. He's a veteran protester. He has fled gunshots and tear gas. He has marched, he has waved signs. He played dead on the asphalt in years of activism that unspooled after a white police officer killed an unarmed black teenager named Michael Brown. I'm so angry, he shouts. He is seven years old. He's a seven-year-old veteran protester. Who so has, that's an interesting who one. Who has fled, what was he fled? Gunshots and tear gas. And, and marched and waved and signs. Dead. He's not a veteran of, uh, in my opinion, he's not a veteran of upheaval. He's a veteran of child abuse. Explain, yeah, he's please. He's a survivor. Sorry, anyone who... Who's, who let a child who out. Who a seven-year-old child. During a, during takes, a protest. A, takes, sorry, if you read it, she took the child out to a, 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 a protest involving tear gas. His mother did. Yeah. Yeah. And, yep. you know, she, so they do this long, lengthy piece in the New York Times and they're following this family around and they show, they're showing photographs of this child at rallies where he's an activist, where he gives speeches. A seven-year-old, I just keep repeating seven-year-old, um, 
yeah, a seven-year-old, and for those of you who have seven-year-olds and know seven-year-olds, um, you know, you 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 know how 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 it works with with those guys. But you know, there's a moment here, you know, where for the where he's in the back of the car, and obviously the reporter is there, or whatever. David piped up from the back seat. This is the seven-year-old. I can fight the police, he says to his mother. The mother says, "No, you can't." Yes, I will. David, his mother said, you're going to end up dead if you do that. Quit using your imagination. It's time to use reality. Well, you know, that's a great oh. word, reality. Oh, we have a visitor. Uh, we have a, a cat, Mr. Scaredy Cat. But uh, let's talk about, let's talk about this. Let's talk about Ferguson, about what happened in Ferguson. And one of the things, by the way, that they highlight in this New York Times article, which I find just extraordinary, um, and I'm going to put it up on the Facebook page, is... There's a memorial to Michael Brown now. There is a memorial to Michael Brown with all kinds of very nice words said about Michael Brown, about how just gentle and his words are in the wind. His soul is so gentle and all of that. Michael Brown assaulted an immigrant shop owner and stole items from a shop. He then almost beat a police officer to death. And the reason we know that is because the witnesses said it yes. and the witnesses were black. That said that. Uh, we okay, have a watch cat. the cat now. Yes. Watch so, the cat. Uh, he's, sta- he's standing on your keys of your computer, making okay. a noise. This could okay. be awkward. We're now gonna put now this top, down. You need to get down there now. So, how dare you interrupt us talking about Ferguson? But here's what I actually, no, so, but, no, but seriously, I, okay, go, you, go, you go, first of all, you I mean, go, I, and I, I'll go afterwards. So I, wanna, I, I happen to, to have a, an intimate knowledge of, of what really happened in Ferguson. Yes, you do. Because I'm one of the few people who read all 5,000 pages of the grand jury testimony. And the cat is now... Now the cat is attacking Magda. And that, you know, is never going to work out well for the cat. So I did a play called Ferguson, which, which is a verbatim play. Which and by the way, we're putting the link up on YouTube. Yes, we, we filmed a version of it, and we're putting it up on YouTube. And we're putting it up on the Facebook page as well. So the great thing with the grand jury testimony was people were forced to tell the truth under pain of perjury. Yes. They were confronted with forensic evidence. So you had people who had told reporters, and reporters, I was going to say believe, but actually reporters, they did not believe it because some of the people told reporters things that were physically not true. That I saw this from my apartment, and their apartment was incapable of seeing where Correct. the apartment was. Yes. So every, the play is every, every eyewitness who told the media one thing, when they got into that grand jury room, they withdrew it, they withdrew it or they, they eventually withdrew it when they were confronted with the evidence. And that is why, when I did the play, nine members of the cast walked out. They didn't like the truth. The truth was was not what the media and the New York Times had told them, and are still trying to tell them. And Michael Brown, he, he was involved in stealing, assaulting an immigrant in a shop, walking up the middle, even when the cops were called, walking up the white line in the middle of the road. He was high on drugs. He attacked a police officer once in his car. Uh, the police officer shot him, shot at him. Uh, he came back and attacked him again. He then ran off, ran to a grassy knoll. The police officer got out of his car and he turned and came back and charged at him. And that is not what I'm telling you. That's what 
The witnesses. Witnesses. Most yeah. of them African-American. Many of them anti-cop. Yeah, yeah, and reluctant, what? and very reluctant to give evidence. So you can, if you go on... It's incredible, but you should watch If you go on the it. Ferguson on YouTube, yeah. you will see that what this seven-year-old boy... By the way, the seven-year-old boy shouldn't know anything about this. It's just terrible. Well, he shouldn't... Sorry, what he should know is what actually happened. He should know the truth. And I just want to... It's worth reading this because I, I want to link this up, actually, interestingly enough, uh, to the Gosnell story. Um... They have put a monument up to Michael Brown in, uh, in Ferguson, Missouri, and here's what it says. I would like the memory of Michael Brown to be a happy one. He left an afterglow of smiles when, he, when life was done. He leaves an echo whispering softly down the ways of happy and loving times and bright and sunny days. He'd like the tears of those who grieve to dry before the sun of happy memories that he left behind when life was done. There's not he, much there now did, about an assault. Well, you know, he did leave an afterglow. He left an afterglow on the cheek of a of an immigrant, immigrant shop, shop owner. Shop owner. And by the way, so here's here's and uh, you know, and obviously, by the way, it is a tragedy that he's dead. That anyone that anyone gets gets shot. But but if you assault, uh, you know, newsflash, if you assault a police officer. Um, the police several officer times. several times and actually and you're a huge guy which Michael Brown was the witnesses in very clearly stated in the grand jury that they were it, they said if he hits him again if he hit him one more time he was, dead. he was going to be dead Darren Wilson was going to be dead so the reason I am driven nuts by this particularly at the moment and particularly when I saw this memorial was Samika Shaw died uh, a young African-American mother died after a botched abortion at, abor at uh, Kermit Gosnell's abortion clinic in 2000. She was 22 years old and the mother of two children. Mm. Have we ever heard about her? I mean, who's ever heard of her, right? Obviously, you and I talk about her all the time. I talk about her when I go around the country. I'm always mentioning Samika Shaw. But where, where, was, where are Black Lives Matter people talking about Samika Shaw and what she represents because you know they used Michael Brown to represent this oh this horrific thing where the police are all racist which is not true which is demonstrably not true right however somebody who demonstrably does represent something that is a real problem Samika Shaw a 22 year old mother having an abortion in Kermit Gosnell's clinic somebody who does represent something where there's a massive story to be told how that place was not inspected in 17 years crickets Crickets. No one's there. No one's talking about that story. Um, and where is the monument to her? And where are the prayers for her? And where is the outpouring? But Philadelphia is a sanctuary city. And, and I, I, listen, exactly. And that made me. And I'm just segueing quickly. And then um, you know we're, we've got other stuff to talk about. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. But it brings me up. And by the way, anyone who wants to check this out, it's absolutely fascinating. The Sun Times in Chicago are keeping, um, they have a database of all the homicides that are happening there. You know, so you remember last week we talked about El Paso and El Paso has been blamed on Trump. Like basically Trump caused El Paso with his rhetoric apparently, but Al, 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 Al Sharpton did not cause any, uh, he didn't cause any, any violence in Ferguson. I mean, it, you know, whatever. Yeah. But nobody's also talking about Chicago. So for those of you who don't know, you can go to the Sun Times, you can look up, um, the homicide count that they have so far, and I'll bring you up to date. 301 people have died by homicide in Chicago so far this year. 301. And of those, we have 37 who are under 18. Now, so you're, here's what we got. We have an El Paso happening every week in Chicago, and no one's talking no about one it. Cares about so we're, you know, I have to say, you know what my new thing is? My new thing is I'm outraged by selective outrage. Outraged by selective outrage. I am uh, appalled 
by selective outrage. Shut up with your selective outrage about, about be outraged, but be consistently outraged. If you're outraged by El Paso, if you're outraged by Ohio, get outraged by Chicago. And if you're not, and if we don't hear you talking about Chicago, if we do not hear you talking about the truth about Michael Brown, you're a liar. Well, we know you don't care about people. You don't care about people making, and you don't care about black people. You're making this point for a different reason. Exactly, because I, mean, I didn't mention that because most of the people, sorry, who die by homicide in Chicago are black, are from the African-American community. There's my little rant for the day. But you know what? It really does annoy me and it really does annoy me because it drives me nuts about Samika Shaw. She was only 22, God help her. She was 22 and a mother of two children and she's dead and no one cared in a sanctuary city and in the progressive city of Philadelphia. Um, shout out to everyone in Philadelphia, all the people that we love and we know are watching. And thank you for writing in to us, by the way, Detective Jim Wood and all the Woods family who if, are big If every supporters. member of the Woods family in Philadelphia watched this podcast. We're sorted. We'd be the number we're one sorted. podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The just the relatives of just the Woods. The we're just, we'd be completely so Jim, sorted. get them organized, please. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're on to movies now. And actually there was big news uh, at Universal about yes. The Hunt. Can you, can you talk to that one, Phil? Well, The Hunt is a movie from Universal. It's just business. Hunting human beings for sport. Hurry, hurry, hurry up. So it's true. We're being hunted. Like, so as you've seen from that trailer. Yeah. What, well, I don't know, what did you see? I'll I tell you what I saw. I thought, I actually was excited for this yes. show to come out because the deplorables, as they were called at the yeah. show, um, the deplorables are salt of the earth. We, you know, you'd yes. all recognize yourselves. We'd all recognize ourselves. And, and there are people. They're kind the, of like it's the elite liberals who are attacking and trying to hunt the deplorables. And it's the deplorables who are turning the tables in that trailer. And by the way, and see how they're turning the tables? They get their axe, their hands on weapons. Yes. Guns. Yeah. So it's a anti-elite movie. It's a pro Second Amendment movie. It's 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 a perfect MAGA Actually, movie, yeah, it's a and that's yeah. why it's disappointing to see conservatives attack it. It's disappointing. Actually, I think the president made a mistake in attacking it. Uh, I think Universal have taken advantage of that to cancel it. I think it's a huge error, and it it'll opens the door now. So if we were to go to Universal tomorrow and say we have a movie that would appeal to the middle of America, you know. But in every movie, you have to have good guys and bad guys, and sometimes even the good guys are bad. Universal go, no, no, we don't want to do anything that might show the MAGA people to be bad or complex characters. So this, by Universal cancelling the launch of The Hunt, it allows them to cancel every other conservative movie that's ever been suggested, any movie that even shows conservatives or Republicans in a good or a bad or a complex light. So this is, they're going to take advantage of this cancel culture now to cancel other things. And I think the cancelling of the hunt has been an own goal by conservatives or Republicans. I'm thinking of starting a petition, actually. Uh, for, Look at you with your to, petitions. To, call, to ask Universal to reinstate it, to reopen it. And uh, I mean, as soon as the tickets are on sale, I'm buying a ticket. I'd love to go. I'd love and, to go. And yeah. we want uh, our people out there who listen to the podcast maybe to come to LA and join us some night, actually. Oh, yeah. That's another idea. Yeah. That Meatballs and a movie. Meatballs and a movie. Yeah, meatballs and a movie. There you go. There's something. Uh, we could, well, I think we can sell and that. We've had a lot of good uh, responses to your meatballs, by the way. Oh, we did have. Uh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. I yes. think even that. People, um, I think even Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas may have eaten my meatballs. Well, I think we, I, I think I saw, saw Ginny. We saw that on Facebook. We saw that on Facebook. So, uh, so please 
don't join the outrage against the hunt. Urge Universal to uncancel it. Yeah. Let's 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 not burn books. Let's, let's, not, let's not burn books. Let's not burn books. Let's not be like yeah. liberals and cancel people. No, we shouldn't cancel people's works of art. A lot of people worked yeah. on that on that show and told a story. And you know, we should be open to, to watching stories and, and listening yes. to other people's opinions. Yes. Um, in other news and movies, um, because you know, we're going to look at things that have just come out. So just available now on Netflix. For those of you who didn't see it before, is Julie and Julia, which tells the story of Julia Child. And as you may have noticed, I'm very interested in food. And um, and this, you know, so I, I, I remember distinctly when this came out in the movie theater and we were living in DC at the time and we were super involved in politics, super, you know, doing the usual Anne and Phelan stuff, like super, super under pressure, lots and lots of politics. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go on my own on some Saturday and watch this Julie and Julia because it's right up my alley. It's going to be all about food and everything. And here's what um, liberals do when they're making movies. And it's, it's incredible, actually. You know, they'll make a movie about food like this one. They'll make a f- movie about Julia Child about m- food and they'll just slap you well, <laughs> for sprinkle. being a... They'll sprinkle or to slap a, you. To use a food metaphor, they'll sprinkle a little socialism over. Sprinkle a little socialism or sprinkle a little bit of a slap. So there's just a moment in the film. And I, you know, would I recommend Julia and Julia? Kind, yes, in a way, because it's kind of curious, the story and stuff like that. But I, I have to say, it has been forever ruined for me, by the way by them going political. So I would have really, so it's hard actually, it's hard for me to so judge the, it because they ruined for, it for, for me. For example, so what they did the was, young girl. The young girl, so the, the, the premise of the idea of the, of, the, of the movie is that there's a young girl in New York who's whatever, going through some kind of a phase in her life. And she says, as a challenge to herself, I'm gonna cook one of Julia Child's recipes every day for a year. And it's a great, by the way, great concept, great idea. And she does, and she starts a blog, and the blog becomes famous and whatever, and she starts doing this stuff. Um, and at the end, of course, you know, coming close to the end of the year, she's under cerebral pressure, and she has all these recipes to do, and so she takes a day off work. But her blog has become fi- kind of famous, so her boss finds out that she took a day off to do these recipes, right? So then he c- calls her into the office and says, you know, um, you know, I notice, you know, you, you know, you, need, you, you kind of criticizes her or whatever, but then says to her, completely gratuitously, if I was a Republican, I'd have sacked you. If I was a Republican, I'd have sacked you. And it's like, where did this come out of? Yeah, just like, where did this come out of? Like, we're ha- I'm having a good time, and now you just hit me in the face for being... And it's like, you know, how and dare you, by the way? other little sprinkles. And by the way, and by the way, you know, interestingly enough, the job she had, the job she had, she worked for the government organizing for people to get um, their, their claims processed who had been affected by 9-11. That's the job she took a day off from to go and make a recipe. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, you know, I'm just, I'm right. just saying it's kind of interesting, you know. Um, well, and obviously, then, obviously her, her self-fulfillment uh, uh, cookery classes are much more important than people, uh, victims of 9-11. Uh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Um, and then, you know, uh, just briefly, actually, you know, in books, I'm, one book I just came across the other day, and it's just, I'm just hilarious, and I'm just going to briefly mention it, is, so there's a movement now called Extinction Rebellion, and they are... Block streets. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. They're climate change activists who, now, who are going to the next level of blocking streets, of uh, stopping traffic, uh, stopping motorcades, blocking airports. I mean, really uh, getting, uh, breaking the law because we have a climate emergency. So and basically, and, and so there's an emergency, there's a massive emergency. And because it's a massive emergency, they have rushed out and published a handbook called, this is not a drill. 
an Extinction Rebellion handbook. And it was rushed out because of the crisis that we're facing. Mm -hmm. The massive crisis. And how is the, how's the book doing So now? how is it? Well, first of well, all... Well, there is a crisis. First of all, eight people have reviewed it. Eight. And it but got, if you listen to the media, you think Extinction Rebellion was, was the new kind Oh, yeah. Of, the Guardian couldn't love it enough. It got, but it got you know, loved they're, they're everywhere. Basically, they're a grassroots... Oh, talking of grassroots... No, but hang on. Hang on. You're going to love this. I have to... I, you know, let's go by the numbers. So, so first of all, it has eight reviews. Now, Phelan, not that I would boast, but you know what? It's our podcast, so we get to do that. How many? I, I think maybe you don't know, but I looked last yes. night. I think on my last count, we have 627 reviews of our book, Gosnell, which is available on Amazon. And by the way, is also available on Audible. Um, I do um, the narration of the book. And I have to say, I can't, you know, anyway, people, people. people are very, very, very moved by, by, by our book. But anyway, just to give you an idea. So if you look up, the great thing about Amazon, as opposed to the New York Times bestsellers list, which we talked to you about before, is that when you go, when you go here, they actually tell you, you know, they tell you exactly where, it is, where it is in the rankings, you know. So in rankings, actually it's jumped a lot, Phelan, since yesterday. It is the yes. 12, 12,000. Yesterday was, was 24,000. It's now the 12,000th most popular book on Amazon. Pretty good now. Now, what number we were we when we published our book? We went up to number three. There you for, go. For the whole week. There you go. So two hundred. But you know what I love as well is when I looked this up on Amazon, and I, and I, you know, I was going to plan on reading out paragraphs to you, but you know what? I think you all know the paragraphs are: we're all about to die. We're all about to die. Everything's terrible. Gloom, doom. It's just the worst thing ever. And it's like, and by the way, can I just mention something really interesting? When I was looking up the, the homicide rates in Chicago from the Sun-Times. And this will just tell you, when you talk about doom and gloom, right? You can filter it. You can filter their thing so that you can look at different age groups, different demographics and whatever to, to, to really dig into those numbers. So they have the range of ages, not to 116. So Extinction Rebellion, put that in your pipe and smoke it. People are living to be 116. So I'm not sure where the crisis is. My father had a hip replacement at 90. I, I, that's a good thing. I, we're, we all just agree that that's actually a really good thing. Well, and that people it, are yeah. living long and prospering. No, they believe They're it's a bad boogieing. thing. What is it, Phil? What was that thing we heard before over in London? It was uh, very funny. They're minuetting. No, they bop till they drop. And they're minuetting to the last minute. Uh, the guy, he, Essex University said they bop till they drop. But he says, we're, we, I'm from Oxford, so we say minuet to the last minute. They minuet to the last minute, and I just love that. Um, but when I looked up the Extinction Rebellion stuff, and it's really funny because when you, you know, when you buy a book on Amazon, you all guys know this, they say to you, oh, but you might like this as well. You might like this as well. Here's what you might like as well if you like Extinction Rebellion. The end of the world as we know it. I, I, I kid you not. The dandelion insurrection. Who knows, right? Um, rise and resist. World War III. Being mindful of our planet. You know, but actually they had even worse ones. Actually, here we go. Oh yeah, of course, Greta, Greta Thunberg. Greta Thunberg, who's the young, another young person who thinks we're all about mm. to die. And I actually have a question about that which I think you and I have talked about before, which is if you have young people, you know, and, and being young, is, uh, it's hard just being young anyway, even whatever, even the most ideal situations, it's hard growing up, it's, it's challenging and all of that. But if you are living, going through your elementary school, your high school, all of that, being constantly told, oh, it's all going to hell, the whole thing is desperate, everyone's dying, everything's dying, it's all extinction. Do you think it might have an effect on your mood? Do you think it might have an effect and make you potentially depressed? Is that possible? I think it's possible. Yeah. Uh, and, and I suppose. And this is where, by the way, sorry to interrupt, Phil. This is where conservatives are fabulous because our attitude is: 
We never had it better. Yeah, the world and it's only getting, getting better. And look at the lovely cat. Okay, Top has just arrived up on the table again. He's arrived again. So, um, talking of things never being better, are we on to the wine section yet? We're mm -hmm. on to the frittata section. Oh, the frittata section. Listen. And I, so the recipes, and I've got the photographs, and by the way, I am so into food porn, and I don't know how many of you are. You know, at night if I can't sleep, I have all these food apps on my phone, and I just look at photographs. So for those of you who just like looking at food porn, I put up some of my food porn of photographs of my frittata on my Facebook page, on the Anna Phelan Scoop page, and please like um, and share um, if, you like, if you like what we're doing. And I have the recipe up there today. And given the fact that kids are going back to school, this is like the best time ever to share the frittata recipe because it's a brilliant, it's our brilliant go-to snack. I make a huge one like on a Sunday and we have it like probably straight through to like maybe till us, Wednesday. Are you going to tell us how to make it? Or so you... I'm going to tell you how to make it. Well, I'm going to tell you that like the recipe is up there. So about 12 eggs. Where is the recipe? The recipe is up on the Anna Phelan Scoop Facebook page. And what's that it, called? And, I, and it's, by the way, it's also up on the Instagram page, which is the AP underscore scoop. You can find the recipe there. And the Facebook page is called? The Ann and Phelan Scoop. Okay. And you need to like that yesterday and like it. Get everyone you've ever met and people you have never met to like it yesterday. So the frittata, about 12 eggs. And then you need, and this is so important, you need full fat something, a full fat dairy something. And that could be full fat milk. It could be um, full fat yogurt. It could be obviously cream, full fat cream or it could be creme fraiche. And by the way, I'm asking a question to all of you out there. Yes. Please explain to me why creme fraiche is so expensive in America and it's really cheap in Ireland. Just, that's a question I would like answered by somebody. Because it's true. But here's the thing, and we're not gonna do it today because we don't have time, but I really, we are gonna devote a complete program to the lie that was told to people about fat. I am demented in the supermarket, as Phelan knows, demented, trying mm. to find full fat yogurt. And I want you to be demented too. So. If you go to the supermarket, you will see row upon row upon row, low-fat yogurt. Shut up with the low-fat yogurt. It's full of sugar and it's a disaster. You want your full-fat yogurt and full-fat yogurt is yummy beyond measure. It's like the yummiest yum, yummy, yummy, right? So that's what you want. So the frittata, uh, loads of eggs, you have add-ins. Again, as I said, the recipe is up there. You bang it in the oven for about 20 minutes. Ovens are different. I don't like giving people hard and fast rules about the oven. I would say 350 for 20 minutes, keep an eye on it. And after 20 minutes, I would start to broil it, toast the top of it. It's called frittata because everything's fried. Start with bacon. Fry your bacon first. Lift the bacon off. The fat that's left behind, yummy, yummy, yummy. Do not throw that bacon fat out. That's what you're gonna cook all the vegetables in. And you cook all the vegetables in there so you're full, full, packed full of flavor. And I usually do onions, peppers, peas, maybe a tomato, um, and then take everything off, cook it, take it off, cook it, take it off. And then at the end, when everything's fried and ready, throw everything fried back in, throw in your egg mixture, which is 12 eggs, about a cup, cup and a half of your cream, and then your big handful of cheese. And you could do a hard cheese. And again, as I said last week, don't bother grating your cheese. Throw that cheese into your machine. Or if you What's have, you know, like a Blendex, whatever they call them, you know those Blendex, whatever they're called, the one that would, that can um, blend cement is the one you want. Don't get one with a small motor. And then what you do is blitz, 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 or you could use, by the way, goat's cheese, which flakes, and then flake it on in there. Bang that in on top of all your fried stuff, bang that in, leave it, move it around, gently move it around so that everything's incorporated. So every slice of your tomato has a bit of everything yummy. Then put it in the oven, as I said, 20 minutes at 350, and then give it a little bit at the top, depending on your oven. You might need a bit longer, but you don't want it overcooked. 
Then you take it out. You can eat it hot. You can have it with a salad. You can have it for breakfast. I have all eggs always with sriracha. I can recommend it. I can recommend it. Phelan, and you know what? And we've had people over to the house and they've just, everyone says the same thing. It's a brilliant thing for kids. You could have a slice of that for a kid in a lunchbox. Yummy, yummy, yummy. Because it's as nice cold as it is hot. And uh, yes, well, anyway, that's, that's, the recipe of, that's the recipe this week. And then this is the cheeky little number. This is the cheeky little number that cheeky. we're drinking this week. I thought I was the cheeky little number. You're the cheeky little number. And you know what is interesting is Rosé had a really bad reputation, particularly, I think, for people in, in Ireland, by the way, who were drinking a thing called Matthias Rosé because there was only two varieties of wine available in the country. And Matthias Rosé was very much on the sweet side, on the overly sweet side. This is really, really great. And of course, without, of course, almost having to even say it, of course, you can get this cheeky little number. And of course, the picture for those of Where you... Where you get it? The cheeky little number can be gotten in Costco, but by the way, I just checked this morning, have we got everywhere? And it's, it's at a beautiful price point, around, around $10, $11. Great drinking wine, really, really nice in the summer, um, you know, for friends coming around and stuff like that, to have a bunch of that in the house. Really, really, really nice. And uh, as I said, the picture will be up on the Facebook page for those of you, um, because of course, here we go. So it's Gerard Bertrand, Cote de Rose. And it's a, it's a blend as well, by the way, which is an interesting thing. It's a blend of uh, about three different, three different varietals. Um, it's really clean, which I like, really clean, um, you know, and I, you know, I'm not going to be one of those people like, I, you know, fruit forward and all that. I'll try my fruit forwards every now and again, but it's basically a very clean, crisp drink if, you're, uh, if you like things on the crisp and dry side. It's very much on the dry side, but it's just delightful, actually. And, and fr not fruit forward, I would say. I would say it's, it's gentle and subtle on the fruit, fr on the front, fr fruit front. On the fruit front. I've got to be really careful how I say fruit front very fast because things mm -hmm. could go to hell very Badly quickly. Um, we're wrapping up right now. There's one Music. more tiny thing I want to say. And please, just do me a favour on this one. We have a guest staying with us at the moment. And she's after giving us... She, of course, she's a young one. We have a young one staying with us at the moment. And all these young ones, you know, what's great about the young ones is they introduce you to stuff that young ones know about that you don't know anything about. So this young one who came from Ireland has told us about a girl called Clara McHugh. She's a young girl. She's apparently in college in Birmingham right now. But she's from fun. Belfast. And she's basically one of those girls who's been recording stuff in her bedroom. I have never heard the like of it. I heard it in the car the other day when I was with the young one. So I would recommend you go on YouTube. Her stuff yeah. is on YouTube. Clara one is McHugh. Called Clara McHugh. C-L-A-R-A-M-C-H-U-G-H. -H. And the song that blew my mind, by the way, was called Medicine. And another call, uh, song called The Rush. But Medicine, I was like unbelievable. I'll put again and put them up. What an amazing young person, by the way, this woman Clara McHugh is. So we just were super impressed with her. And, you know, every time we come across something yummy like that, we're going to share it with people. But honestly, give it a listen and you tell me what you think about medicine. I think it's an extraordinary achievement by a young one. So thank you um, for tuning in today, for watching. Um, thank you very much. And, you know, it's really lovely when you guys write comments on the Facebook page and... Uh, we, we will respond to you, send questions or whatever, but please do go and like the Anna Film Scoop Facebook page and write and tell us what you want us to do more of, less of. And if you think I talk too much, and I know some people maybe, including Magda, said I, I was talking far too fast. And you know, I agree with you, but that's only been the nerves. That was a bit of the nerves. Too fast, yes, but you know, I think, you know, maybe we should have subtitles for you. Oh no, I will learn to speak slower. Listen, thank you so much, everyone. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Good night.